Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Time to Talk is hosted by me, Alex Holmes. This podcast is an exploration in what it means to be us, what is keeping our lives afloat at the moment, how are we treating ourselves with compassion, what is on our hearts and what does it mean to be human. This week I'm speaking to Mel's Owusu. Mel's is a person I was so keen to speak to. Mel's is the founder of Free Black Uni, an initiative that believes education should be the most freeing and liberating experience one can partake in. At present, this is too often not the case. They see black students across the world entering an education system that is deeply flawed and even violent in its approach to blackness and other intersections. The vision of the project is two-tiered and they want to encourage the development of radical, imaginative and transformative knowledge that can truly change the world and create a space where the healing and well-being of black folk lies at the heart of the educational experience. I discuss with Mel's what their life is like going from margins to centre and the experiences of the transmasculine in culture academia and society and how we move forward as futurists to create a world that is inclusive to all. I loved having this conversation with Mel's and I hope that you too will have the same feelings of positivity and happiness that I had once I finished getting through this. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show again. It's a pleasure to have you here. I want to tell people about you um, and who you are, what you do, why you do it. Who is Mel's? Oh, a big question. Um, Mel's is, well, okay, I am, <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess, um, a transmasculine slash non-binary um, academic writer, activist, um, person, like, deeply concerned with social justice, I guess, and black liberation in a nutshell. It's very, very concise. Very <laughs> concise. So let's talk about, you know, just to start off with, I'm really interested in your work with Free Black Uni. Um, before we get into Free Black Uni, I understand you're doing a PhD right now and you're, you know, navigating that. Um, I, I want you to just kind of, let's, let's, let's dig into that a little bit. So what yeah. is it that you're researching um, and what led you to do that <clears throat> research? So um, at the moment, I am um, studying in the School of Sociology at Cambridge, um, looking at uh, what well, my project is called 
the right to imagine alternative worlds, the erotic, the sacred, and the speculative, or something along those lines, essentially. And so I'm looking at how we can engage in that kind of non-rationalist modes of knowledge production and those non-rationalist knowledge production modes being Mm. like the feeling of the erotic, um, the sacred, meaning spirituality, and um, the speculative, meaning kind of science fiction modes of um, kind of creating reality and looking at how these kind of like non-rationalist routes to knowledge production can actually take us further into liberation and what kind of led me to to kind of undertaking this project is the fact that I often think like so much of the of the world is just like grounded in um like I guess colonial thought in it and like this colonial scientific mode of how we can know and I'm really interested like in spirituality as we was talking about before and just like the feeling self and like not into this kind of hyper masculinist mode of um, knowledge production that has been kind of forwarded by white men in the West. And so my project is really trying to look at how we can have other modes of knowledge production and how that kind of changes our perception of the possibilities of social change. And that's because like I feel that fear is is kind of grounded within this kind of rationalist way of thinking and we often like limit ourselves when we think about when we think about anything but I'm particularly focusing on when we think about black liberation because it's like oh that's not possible oh we can't do that because of x y and z do you know what I mean but my project wants to look at how we can kind of navigate those fears completely kind of disregard them and just start imagining beyond Mm imagining beyond i think that's something that we are kind of we're we're becoming a lot more forward looking um i think that there's going to be a a lot the conversations we're having are about how can we envisage something for the next and i found that i mean i've just finished reading um grace and perry's the descent of man um i don't know if you've heard of that before but um it was very interesting because he kind of like he puts something pretty simple he's just like you know if you when we look at you know of the future i think a lot of men don't necessarily look to the future to be a man or with masculinity in that space it's like looking forward is not necessarily something that we have been able to do um Mm. he postulates that like um like women people who identify as such have always been forward thinking how can we how can women's rights change how can women be treated better in for the in the future and and, you know how can all of this stuff happen whereas a lot of people who are you know as men quote unquote they don't have that and it was really interesting just to look at that so you understanding what you've what you said in in the research project i think that's going to open a lot of a lot of doors because and a lot of conversation because I think that we need to start thinking of a new space and of a, of a new world right literally of a new world yeah because the conversation like what we've that we've been having especially since covid has seriously deconstructed all the all the stuff it's literally yeah. um being dismantled mm-hmm. what and I think that there's like a ideas drought essentially is what I've called it for for a few years in a sense that there's there's a lot of activity in it in like activist spaces but it's often 
like reactive to like oh the state is doing this so we need to stop the state doing this like the state is killing us so we need to stop the state killing us or the state is kind of taking away like our rights or like our benefit etc etc in it and yeah. like i've been involved in activism like that and i think activism like that like is it's the lifeblood of activism it's it's incredibly important but we can i believe anyway that we can sometimes focus so much on like how to stop the state doing what it's doing that we don't have enough time we don't have the luxury of dreaming up new worlds outside of like what we need to kind of control within the state because we're so like the state it's it's, it's a tactic in it they inundate us with just trying to keep our people alive like trying to allow us to just live a peaceful life and in all of that struggle, in all of that work, it means that we just don't have that luxury to imagine beyond. And that's why like, I created the Free Black Uni to try and create a space in which people are given that luxury to, to imagine beyond and utilizing that as a form of like radical activist work and a radical praxis. Mm. So can I break down what you what Free Black Uni is? Um, yeah. When people go when people go to the website or go to the space, what are they going to encounter? Um, so Free Black Uni is a project that is looking at how to kind of like, not even decolonize education, like get education out of a colonial space and like for the, for the purpose of like black liberation essentially. And so when people encounter the space, they'll encounter like events, lectures and so on that are concerned with like many facets of like black liberation, but not just in like a kind of academic sense. And so we'll have things that are kind of like quote unquote academic, but also like things that are spiritualist, things that are holistic, things that are about health, things that are about movement, things that are about like an embodied like black liberatory praxis essentially. And so at the moment we're in like the building phases of trying to like create an organization that has like deep roots. So it doesn't just kind of dissipate as we've seen too many like black organizations do. And yeah, gonna, going to be having a big relaunch in 2022 god willing and yeah everyone can interact with it from there i was gonna ask who is it for is it for it's primarily for for the black community all over the world um and everybody else can kind of it's kind of one of them what actually like i was gonna say a simile but i don't know if i should say it but like where if we're eating at the table like all the black people are eating at the table, yeah. And then obviously everyone, everyone else can get the crumbs off the table that we're eating at, essentially. And that's the mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of logic. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, and I think this idea of like the table is really interesting. I think that mm-hmm. you know the idea of community and bringing people together and sitting down and really kind of digesting what is being kind of given to us. And yeah. you know, a lot of people they don't necessarily think it's a lot of this stuff is accessible. Um, yeah. you know, you know, I'm consistently reading something or bringing myself to some like, like learning something new, and um, for some people, it's just difficult and challenging. Yeah. And I think that a lot has been kept away from us. So um, much, too you know, much. You know, yeah, specifically as Black people, yeah. um, a lot has been kept away from us. And I think the idea of kind of us growing and as we age and grow up, we then start to delve into more knowledge and trying to figure out like ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I think there was this whole quote about, you know, 
I think uh, Toni Morrison must have said something like, you know, no one ever knows when you when you become black or when you become white. It's just mm. that it's just that it, you start to then go down this path of really trying to understand it, and especially in the oh. black experience. Anyway, you have to go and understand what that looks like. Um, words, words, yeah. and like, I just think that so much, like you were saying, like so much is kept away from us, and. That is also what inspired like the Free Black Union because when I when I was studying for my undergrad, like I studied philosophy and politics, and like I'm just interested in like the kind of what makes the world and what is what are the thought processes, what are the thought systems that kind of undergird the kind of every action that we kind of take in the world, as opposed to like the actions themselves. And I was reading stuff. I was like, everybody should have access to this. Why 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 does everyone not know this? But it's kind of like this massive um gatekeeping of knowledge. And the way it's done as well is that it's written in such an inaccessible way. But when you just break down the philosophies and theories, it's so simple that everybody should be able, able to understand it. And like my background from coming, like going to a school in which like I believe I was the only like student to go to like a Russell Group University from like my entire school in it. And I was even telling a friend like the other day that like more people in that school have been incarcerated than went to like Russell Group Universities. You feel me? And I'm just like, it wasn't that these people are any less intelligent or any less worthy or any less whatever. It's literally just the system messing us up. And I feel like people that went to schools like me, people that are like incarcerated, people that are like within communities, like how I've grown up, should have access to this knowledge because this aren't like, I find this, I find knowledge in in and of itself. And like the idea of being like a knowledge creator and a knowledge producer, which I feel like everybody is, but not everybody has the language to understand um, how to kind of navigate that space is like the most freeing and liberating thing like ever. And so that's why I want to make sure that the masses have the masses have access to like this kind of like liberatory um, education. Mm. Who was one of the groundbreaking discoveries that you found that kind of really like shook your world? And I know there's probably many, uh, but like many. What kind? Of, if you think about back at a time, like <laughs> for me, like for me, it was Song of Solomon. Like okay. when I started, I think that was Tony Morrison's, and then I started delving into. Yeah. Um, James Baldwin, Giovanni's yeah. Room, and then, you know what I mean? Like, I was really delving into that, and that, and that really just, it shook my whole world open. It broke it broke me open. Yeah. Um, what was one of yours? Or one well, the first yours? thing that came to my mind was, like, the entire body of black feminist thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's yeah. pretty broad. Um, but that, that's even definitely, then, yeah. like... Sorry? Yeah, even then, yeah. yeah. So that's pretty bored. But then the other thing that came to my mind was um, the the cogito, like Descartes' um, cogito, I think therefore I am. And like, I was like, this just don't make no sense. <laughs> I just recognizing how much that, that impacts society as like, we're all like rationalist, mind-driven, intellect-driven like beings. And I was like, that just mm. erases so much of like the human experience. And so mm. that's why like my work is focused on what happens beyond like, us being the mind. only functional if we're thinking isn't it? and only worthy yeah. if we're thinking so yeah yeah so it's interesting that you brought up Descartes and stuff Waste because man. I remember <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was speaking to Kehinde Andrews um, and he's kind of just like really just he's just dashed all them western philosophers in the bin yeah, like yeah. really and yeah, truly that's where they need to be <laughs> yeah. um his I think therefore I am 
I remember studying that at A-level. Um, and I don't really think I understood what was actually being said there. Mm. But um, and I, and but reading, I think Audrey Lords commented on that. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I cannot remember the article it was in or the book. I just somehow remember. Yeah. I, do, you, do you know it? Yeah, prob- it do might you... be poetry is not a luxury. In That's which it. it says, I poetry feel therefore like... I can be free. There we go. And once I read that, I was like, actually, when we think about the Western idea of um, being, it's not mm-hmm. even about being. It's about saying, it's about really kind of living in the headspace and, you know, ignoring the body's trauma, the body's mm-hmm. feelings of things mm-hmm. and whatnot, which allowed them to then go forth and enact the cruelties that they enacted across the world. That's and I just, and, and I think just that one piece of unlocking kind of just made me just re- recognize that the way the world, the world that we live in, and we see it today, especially with COVID and we see it in that space, like people, you know, it, everything has to be a logical response. But mm. what about, what you what what about what you are feeling about this moment you know our exactly. our leader quote unquote our leader was literally bedridden in the thing with the virus but yet he's out here talking about nonsense and you know and doing and doing foolishness so you know i think that what you're doing is amazing and we need to open up these conversations a lot more because you there's should. so much there and you know what? and as like people of the african diaspora we are feelers, like mm-hmm. we, we inherently we feel. spiritual beings. There we go, and music, food, mm-hmm. um, fashion, like feeling, like we we put feeling and we put love and we put a lot of that stuff into it. What? And for us to kind of come back and say, well, our thoughts are the only thing that keeps us. <laughs> it's a bit like it's yeah. a bit like, but, but our hearts though. Literally. Okay, um, literally, and it's like this idea of the thought being the only faculty that makes you human as well, which again is like uh, another way of dehumanizing people that don't like have that, didn't have that as that fir- their first navigation of like being. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. So that's free Black Uni. I'm interested. I'm looking forward to the relaunch next year. Seeing calm, seeing calm. So am I. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on what masculinity means to you. And um, mm. because you know what, I, <laughs> I'm I, I'm so exhausted by just the blatant disregards that masculinity has kind of mm-hmm. the, the idea, the perspective of masculinity that we have um, today, mm-hmm. um, and the kind of people that are enacting it and in reinforcing particular elements of it. I'm so mm-hmm. I'm exhausted by a lot of it. Um, but I'm interested to hear what your perspective is and obviously I'll share mine thereafter but yeah. I'm interested yeah no, it's just something I think about often of course because of like mm. my transition into masculinity like it's not something mm. I can't think about and so it's it's so complex isn't it it's so oh, it's like where do I even begin like I grew up believing to an extent that masculinity like equal harm in it and there's no other way to be masculine but than to be harmful and that's because like I grew up in a domestic violence environment um when I presented like as a woman like I experienced things that like women experience at the hands of men um and all I'd been 
those were the only like masculine people that I'd known in my life and the only masculine figures. And I wasn't seeing anybody that was expressing masculinity in a way that wasn't harmful. And so then I come to be like, okay, like I need to identify like with myself and I don't identify with this body. I don't identify like with this identity and so on. But then I'm like, raw if I transition then that means that I become de facto harm and I remember like experiences of like where there's no danger like present feeling an incredible level of like fear when I'm in spaces like with a particular um with men that might reflect people that have caused me harm like in the past mm-hmm. and having to navigate the idea that I then might too cause other people the same kind of fear or like trauma or whatever it may be when I'm just trying to to live my life you feel me and so honestly like sent me into the biggest depression ever like it was (sighs) so difficult to try and navigate because I'm like Mm. I can't be here if I'm forced to live as a woman I can't be here if I have to then become essentially the men that have hurt me and so, like, where does that leave me in it? Mm. And so it just took a long period of, like, recognising, like, my pain. And, like, it's an ongoing thing, in it? And just trying to heal from, like, the things that have happened to me in the past, the things that I've, I've experienced. And also trying to interact with as many, like, men as possible that aren't, like, that that aren't producing harm, that aren't taking on, like, this, these toxic masculinist kind of traits. And as well, like, surround myself with like women or non-binary people as well who don't just Mm. see masculinity as harm who have also done that work and I think that it's really important because I feel like there's often this idea that it's just men that need to do the work of unlearning like toxic masculinity or that need to do the work of unlearning um like the tropes of masculinity but they're it's a it's a collective it's a collective Mm. thing in it because like the same way that like obviously not the same way but in like harmful ways women can also like perpetuate ideas of like men as like simply harm and it's not good for anyone in it and I just think that we all need to heal essentially and as a trans masculine person I recognize that my healing from like even though it's not done it's a like I said it's an ongoing process but like I then didn't have the luxury well I'll call it a luxury of like just projecting my pain onto men because if then I had because that when I transitioned I had to understand it within myself otherwise I'd project it onto myself and I re- recognized that prior to that I was just projecting all of the pain that I'd experienced onto men as like a whole and that's not good for anybody for me so yeah yeah I love what you've said um everything and I'm just trying to digest all of that yeah. um because where you said that, first of all, the projection of that mm-hmm. onto onto men, like mm-hmm. I like you know there are so many things and like I mean and this is where we kind of connected at the point in our, our respective points in life, um, because I was at the very I was at the point of trying to understand myself as a man what that mm-hmm. looks like and then forgiving the men around me 
who had enacted a particular element of harm with regards to whether that be emotional or physical, you know? So understanding Mm. that and then having that conversation with people and then even that conversation with myself, it's like, it was one thing. But then another thing was us not being able to turn that all inward and kind of start to attack who I was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like consistently questioning like am i doing the right thing am i being right am i being good yeah. am i x y and z um i don't want to be like that man i think men are x y and z and all this stuff yeah. and you start to really kind of um, put yourself in a space um that goes that, that goes around that and i think that what you said about like you know it's for all of us to kind of like really unlearn a lot of those things but how important do you think it is for us to 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 for us to be surrounded by um many different men who are in the process of wanting to heal um but mm. some people don't even necessarily have the language or the ability to kind of articulate what they need um because in my kind of you know in the kind of in the community that i'm building and the people that i'm around a lot of the time i look at men and i say just I said what we all have in common is that we are men like, like regardless of you know what you were born as what you identify you know mm. what I mean we are like if that's where you're at we're men like, what we need to do is understand one another we need to understand our stories yeah. and start to move forward in that but um, yeah. what do you say to that is that something that is too idealistic or mm. yeah no definitely not too idealistic I think it's it's deeply important and I think that there's a lot more space that should be made like for men to be able to heal. And I don't mean that necessarily like spaces themselves. And so as you're talking, like it's definitely important for men to create spaces in which men can um, like navigate that healing journey together. But then I also do think that like just in general society, like this idea of men healing, like like needs to be seen as something that is like encouraged that is loved that is like appreciated that is kind of like not disparaged not seen as like unmasculine like it's all just (laughs) it all just makes no sense to me to be honest but I think that yeah it can be like quite daunting for like because it takes away the whole idea of masculinity in it and obviously like um bell hooks writes a lot about it in um what's it the right to change just about how the will to change yeah oh sorry the will to change my bad like how men aren't afforded the kind of space to heal because masculinity is seen as something that doesn't embody like this kind of feminine healing principle of like this feminine principle of healing essentially Mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. both men and women perpetuate those feeling, those thoughts and feelings onto men in a pursuit for them to be like more masculine or masculine enough. What do you think, when you think of masculinity now, where you're at in 2021, mm-hmm. talking to me in this space, mm-hmm. what do you think of masculinity now? Like if you could sum it up in like a word or two or a sentence, or two like mm. what does when you, when you think of it now when you feel it now you know what word came to my mind yeah mm. it's which is a, a damn shame but it was dangerous but yeah. it's not dangerous in the same way as I used to see it and so whilst I used to see it as dangerous as in like men are gonna hurt me men have hurt me men have done x y and z to me 
now it's more dangerous in the sense of I know how I on the tra trajectory of my transition I know that I'm only going to become more masculine looking only but gonna, gonna continue to look like a man essentially and that feels scary and dangerous to me because like even at this point in my transition the differences that I'm seeing in the people that are surrounding me like I'm the same person that like came through this transition but obviously I present in a different way in it and so like the suspicious eyes the getting followed around shops like the getting accused of x y and z like it's it's a scary and a dangerous thing and I'm like how do I how do I now navigate all of this how do I protect myself in and amidst all of what black masculinity has seen is seen as I've I've spoken quite a bit about the the selective invisibility of mm blackness I guess black, you know what I mean like you can be out on the street and obviously just ignored until it become until you are then seen and it just becomes this thing where it's like like all eyes on you sort of thing um, and as you said it, as you said yeah, I understand where you're going with when you say dangerous um, mm. to be around because you don't know what people are going what people's how people are going to receive you mm -hmm. you know you step into spaces and you know I do step into shops and I do step into things and I do think I need to hurry and get out of this shop very quickly so I need to go yeah. in I need to look for what I want I need to go and get my little juicy fruit thing and get, <laughs> I need to go to the till quick time like I need to go to yeah. cashless was it cashless the contactless card machine okay. <laughs> I need to do all of that stuff I need to do and leave because mm -hmm. I figured, I figured to myself, like I don't want to impose myself mm -hmm. anybody. And then sometimes I step outside the shop, and I'm just like, "What is that? Mm -hmm. What is me stepping into that space doing to me? You know, what? am I a danger? Like I'm, I know I'm not, but I'm, are they dangerous for, to me? Like absolutely, like anything could happen in those spaces. Indeed. So." When I think about masculinity, for me though, I think about tenderness, and I think about nice. kind of like having these conversations, and I think about learning from another. Like I keep mm. saying, I've been saying this to a lot. Like I sit at the foot of my elders, you know what I mean? And I yeah. really kind of like, like I sit and I listen, but also I hope that the elders kind of learn from me too. Does that make any sense? Because I think no, that's what? how you become. That's how you become elders. You know. You learn from the people that are, that are coming up and whatnot, and mm. you understand that. And I think that's what we kind of need to do more. And that's the I, that's the environment that yeah. I feel like a lot of masculinity and black masculinity in particular should be cultivating. Yeah, um, no, that's well. beautiful. I love that. I love that, and I hope that I can get to a place where I can what's it associate masculinity with just tenderness. And yeah. I think like the position that I'm in in my transition and just like the difference in life that like I'm seeing happen like as people begin to interact with me in different ways in different ways it's just like I haven't learned any of this like there's no rule book there's no mm. there's no way to figure it out there's no way to deal with it like and that is what is like the scary part in it but hopefully yeah. as I learn it and as I kind of grow into it more and more um I don't internalize it <laughs> 
and instead I'm able to kind of like have that kind of distinction between like what masculinity means to me and what masculine mm. black masculinity may mean to other people who kind of project their shit onto me absolutely so what was growing up for you like then if you don't mind having that conversation um what was growing up for you like and i remember you posted on instagram once um about you know a a past you and you saying this is me kind of like growing and i'm here now and this is where i'm at and you know and you're very transparent with your journey yeah um, and very open with where you're at and kind of what you're going through and what I respect and love about you is that you take the adequate breaks that you need from mm. overexposure to things yeah. <laughs> I think that's so no, I, like, I, you know what I mean I so, that is so yeah. important mm. because we can get so caught up in just everything yeah and especially when we are going through such emotional experiences ourselves we can then intertwine that with all of the feelings, especially as people who are, I would imagine, are as empathetic as we are, who are mm. kind of taking on all of these different things. You want to be a part of so much, but you're going through so much. Yeah. So what was that like growing up for you and your family and just kind of can, and reconnecting who you are mm. Mm. with who your, your family didn't necessarily yeah. see? Yeah, I guess it's always just a process, isn't it? And so mm. growing up, just not really identifying with anything and just thinking that everybody else was like that as well. And just like being, I almost felt like a, um, how can I even put it? Just not connected to myself and not connected to my body, not connected to anything, you know? And I was just kind of like going through life, doing what I was doing. Um, and just trying to not think about like my body, not trying to not think about like my gender and all of that kind of stuff, just as kind of an act of survival. And I think something that I um, thought about as well was just how, for me, I don't identify as like I was born like this gender. Like I was born like non-binary. I was born as a like I don't identify with any of that. And I was born as like a little black girl. I lived as a little black girl. I then lived as like a dark-skinned black woman for a number of years and had those experiences of dark-skinned black womanhood. And then I transitioned and that's where, well, I'm transitioning and that's where I'm at right now. And like, that's really important for me, isn't it? And that's not often the narrative that's heard like within these spaces. And to begin with, I was scared that like, because I've already had like public exposure um, prior to like transitioning that are oh, people are going to have access to like old images of me and whatnot mm. but then I was like I just actually have to embrace it um and that embracing was important to me on that in, on a similar level of like I've had those experiences and those are the experiences that make me like you can't divorce like my history like I I, I call it like trans people claiming our own genealogies, essentially, like our mm-hmm. own like timelines, our own histories. And it is entirely consistent for me to have grown up in that kind of way and then to become this. And it's just, I just grew up differently to other people, essentially, innit? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very difficult challenge, of course, like coming out, like I'm Ghanaian and um, like, fam- like it's, it's, it's difficult, innit? But at the end of the day, like when it's down to like, either I'm going to live or I'm going to die. <laughs> like I had like self-preservation in it. And I was willing to take whatever came 
if I like when I came out in it, if it was like my family just owe me if I, I get kicked, like whatever it was, I was just like, listen, nothing is worse than like what I'm experiencing right now. And so I have to do this like for myself. And honestly, best decision like I've ever, ever made in my life, like was to begin my transition when I began it and being able to like slowly like step into myself and step into like my power because I was still doing things like prior to my transition and like everyone probably looked at me like oh like you've got it together kind of thing but I didn't have anything together like right now I still don't have everything together but I wasn't connected to the things that I was doing like I was living in like a perpetual state of disassociation but only now can I actually connect with the things that I'm doing, which means that the, the things that I can offer the world only become better by virtue of me being able to like live in my truth and be in myself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that is like, you know, it's a very, it's a very courageous thing. Um, you know, and I think that as black people, we just have been, I don't like saying things like this because I feel like it, it, it takes away our agency, but I do, but, I feel like it's just on my chest, I'm just going to say it, but you like, you know, being robbed of our kind of capacity to own our truths, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. To own the stuff, to own the way that we feel, to own the way that we kind of like, like the way that we are, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so I feel like it's a super courageous thing you did because I think that in order for mm. us to kind of progress forward, we need to feel like we can progress forward in no, conversations. Um, and yeah, it was definitely so. it was just definitely like a, a difficult thing, but it also taught me so much that like nothing has taught me as much in life as transitioning has taught me. And all of this stuff that I'm interested in with regards to like building a free black uni, creating these like speculative visions of the future. Like I had to speculate about my own future, like I had to create and conjure up an idea of myself that kind of pushed against everything that I'd ever been told was possible for me, that I'd ever been told was true, that I've ever been told like was even just okay for me and just be like, nah, that's who I am and I need to go and chase that. And in the process of chasing that thing, like you have to become fearless. You literally have to become fearless in so many ways. And like, not to say like I'm fully fearless, like I still have my fears, I still have my insecurities, I still have my whatnot, but like, it's mm. taught me so much to be able to like, even through that fear to step into that courage and do the things that I feel like are my purpose to do in this world. Mm. For sure. I did want to actually speak to you about um, mental health and spirituality and spiritual health. Um, so, I mean, I miss Leona's Zodiac Nights, the Astro Mixer. Um, and for those of you who don't know what it is, you probably will never know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know what it is, um, it was Liliana Nicole Black. You can find her on Instagram. She's a tarot therapist and amazing all-round person lovers of bits the community building she has done has been amazing but she basically does this social mixer which has astrology at its center and theme everybody gets split into gets split into teams based on your element of your of your sun sign um to earth air fire and water um yeah one of the first few places that i you know Mel's and i shared community and space in was at the astro mixer and um and and it's kind of one of those spaces where you didn't have to feel weird for liking 
astrology like you know what I mean? like because like, you knew everybody was there yeah. and you knew what everybody's vibe was everybody was was on it like you had the oh, fire gosh. signs being fire signs the water signs <laughs> being water signs the earth signs the earth signs and the air signs yeah. the air signs and it was really interesting um watching the leos fight the capricorns and, you know, <laughs> and then like the, the water signs uh, are sitting there chilling just kind of like so laid back and relaxed they were just like yeah, this is cool man we are vibing we are vibing but the one thing I really wanted to speak to you about, because you it just kind of does heart back around full circle back to your PhD mm. and just the sacred element of what you of what you talk about. Mm. And um, how has spirituality helped you with your mental well-being mm. as well? And I, and I think that people really try to disconnect the two. Yeah. Too much of the time. And they don't, we don't speak about spirituality enough, yeah. I don't feel. So... Do you want to speak on that just a little bit, just to see yeah. where, where we go? Yeah, like, honestly, it saved my life. It saved my life. Like, when I was first contemplating transition, I remember I was at, I was in Leeds, like, free, like alone, like, had a couple friends there, but most of my friends had graduated. I'd actually started a PhD at Leeds, which I later left, and now, obviously, I'm doing a PhD elsewhere. Um, but it was, it was like a year of, like, constant depression, like, and I just couldn't, like, I couldn't do anything. And that's the year that I got my first tarot deck. Um, and it was inspired because I was taught by Leona, actually, at, at Leeds. That's how Leona and I met, like, years and years ago. Like, she was a seminar leader for me when I was in my final year of uni. And she had started doing, like, um, like tarot stuff in and around, like, the city and just like started doing it on YouTube as well. And so I started watching and I was like, yo, this is lit. Like I was loving it, innit? And then, yeah, I got my first tarot deck. And when you're in a situation where like everybody in the world is telling you to doubt yourself, innit? And that's often what happens like to trans people, to trans kids, to to anybody contemplating transition. Like Mm -hmm. the whole world is telling you that you should doubt yourself. Like, are you sure? Like that you're going to be upset, like, you're going to regret this, you're going to, like, people say, <laughs> like, and that's just the, that's the tip of the iceberg of what people say to you when you're contemplating transition. And the tarot gave me, like, a route to kind of affirming my own truth, essentially. And learning more about the tarot, pulling cards for myself, like, when I'm, when I'm, like, taking on other people's doubts or when I'm, like, questioning myself, like, being able mm-hmm. to pull those cards and then, like, get a reflection back to me that affirms me, like, from me, but, like, affirming me in that kind of way was, like, honestly so powerful and so necessary at that time. And then through, from Tarot, I just kind of, like, continued looking at all different roots of spirituality and I started looking at pre-colonial spiritualities across, like, the African diaspora, um, particularly like um, Candomblé, like Ifa, um, mm. traditions in Ghana, and just like started learning so much about it and just being like, listen, like how could I ever live my life without it? But I grew up in the mm. church, like back in the day mm. in it. And so I was so, going to ask you. Yeah. So I had was, that kind that of like... like <laughs> It was interesting, you know, church is, church is community, isn't it? Church was, like, lit in a sense of the community that it brought. Um, it had, like, many of, like, its, it's, it's issues that my church was actually shut down by the Charity Commission because mismanagement of funds by, like, the white pastor in this, like, all-black church. But anyway, we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> it was bad. Offline, but offline. Church did... <laughs> <laughs> but church did give, like, a massive sense of community, and it taught me 
about like prayer it taught me about um spiritual connection in it it taught me like because it was a pentecostal church as well in it it taught me about like spiritual relation praise and worship like do you know what i mean like uh, acknowledging something outside of ourselves but also within ourselves and so that kind of transition like when i left after like my dad passed actually when i was 15 i kind of like started moving out of the church and it just didn't resonate and as i kind of stepped into like my queerness and then my transness it just all yeah was just didn't resonate with me anymore but recognizing like our traditional like belief systems and like alternative modes of spirituality like gave me a new way of like exploring that core element of myself and it was honestly like the most beautiful thing ever yeah it's amazing what you say about community because that's unlike because i've spoken to a lot of people who have inevitably left the church via their feelings of alienation through their sexuality um or through just just disagreement (laughs) you know i mean i've got friends who just like you know got kicked out because they had sex so they were just like well boy it's just the end of of that thing but a lot of the time what they what they what has always come back to me and what i agree with because i experienced it myself was that it was praise and worship that always brought me through like always because mm. you know coming from a traditional west indian um church and like you know it was a pentecostal church um in, in places i mean i went up and down I, there was a point in life where i was just jumping from church to church and, like, <laughs> <laughs> literally from uh. church to church where are you this week where are you this sunday i'm somewhere in south london <laughs> but um the jumping from church to church and whatnot it was always the music that caught me um, and it was always that that stuff that got me. But it was all but the community aspect of it. Um, a lot of what people said is that they would have their kids, but they would want their kids to be in the church at least just to grow up in for like the first whatever the ten, fifteen years of their life, and then they yeah. choose what they want to do because the community that the church provides, you know, some of the lessons that it does teach, they do teach valuable valuable things yeah. at times. But also, as you've alluded to, that it's the leadership a lot of the time doesn't necessarily fit the mold of mm. kind of of, of of present day life. <laughs> you know, some people Work. are trying to finesse and some people are, you know, really trying to lead, lead people astray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Um, mm. There's various things in that, but I'm always interested because when it comes to black people, it's like we always have our roots in the church in some way, shape, yeah. or form, and that's a colonial hangover. Um, yeah. But but you know, it just becomes very interesting as to kind of yeah. what we think about other spiritualities, other spiritualities, other elements of spirituality, and um, yeah. because it does teach us very similar things, it right? Us a lot. Uh, it does. But we it but does. what we learn. Mm-hmm. Nah, so tapping true. into like go on nah just just agreeing like yeah it definitely teaches us a lot and like even things like that I kind of take as like second nature like uh, like okay I'm gonna fast today that like, other people would be like oh, fasting what's that do you get me but like I can like I used it in the Christian church but now I can also use it for like the spirituality that like I'm moving into and like it just gives us that sense of like otherworldliness that a lot of people don't actually have For sure, for sure, for sure. Mm. I do want to know more about the the African traditions that you kind of tapped into. Um, yeah. If you could, like, what is your, what is the, 
thing that you kind of learnt learnt from? You, did you say Ifa? Ifa, yeah. Uh, yeah, what is that and what did you so, learn from that? Yeah, Ifa is um, the kind of divination system of like the Yoruba people. Um, and then it kind of is essentially like the root system of a lot of like African diasporic like traditions. So like Condomble, um, sin, sin, Condomble which is in Brazil, um, Sintra, which is in like Cuba. Um, it also has some roots in um, voodoo, but voodoo is also from like some other parts, I believe like Congo and um, so on. Um, but yeah, so I just, I just literally try and find everything that I possibly can and try and alchemize it in. And what, that's one of the things I think about Christianity. Like, I don't like dogma personally. Like, I believe that there is like a, a united source. Like, there's we all come from like one source. There's just different languages to speak to that source. And so I want to be like multilingual in it. I want to be a polygot in all of these different languages that I kind of connect with source. Um, and so one of the things that, I love about like Ifa and Condom Candomblé like specifically because those are the prop like even even more so Candomblé like when I visit Brazil like I learned a lot about mm. Candomblé and I just I just love the tradition. Um, one of the things about it is that like a lot like they have deities like called Orishas and a lot of the Orishas are like gender neutral. You feel me? <laughs> and mm. it really made me think about like how important mythology is in like social practices. And even though we place such limited um, importance on it in like common discourses, because we're like, oh, sex is biological and what whatnot. Like what if the Bible was like, oh, these people are non-binary. Like we would then go and look for like a scientific reason to show it. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's not as kind of linear as people look at it, isn't it? Um, and so I kind of like think about what a world would be like if we based it on these alternative like mythologies and belief systems and spiritualities of um like candomblé where so many of the orishas are like gender neutral and like there's even like an orisha who like lives six months of the year as a man six months of the year like as a woman and like to me that as well kind of like disrupts the linear the linearity of gender like this idea of like you if you come in the world as one gender then you and then you transition you have to stay that gender and that's it like I don't believe in that in it and if you do like you detransition and detransition is like the main reason why people are like oh um don't don't allow other people don't allow people to transition in it but detransitioning may just be part of your journey what well, quote-unquote detransitioning like you should be able to navigate and like explore and like bend and create gender however you want to create it and that's what like the deities within that belief system um kind of teach me like one specific deity called um uh i've even forgot his name now <laughs> oh, but uh, <laughs> logan Ede, i want to know logan, i want to know I wanna... it's, the name? name is the name the name is logan Ede. Logan. six months of the year as a man in the in in the fields in the woods with his dad called jose and then six months of the year in um by the river with um their mother oshun okay. yeah that is so dope and I would, <laughs> I would say to you that if you there's an episode that me and my friend did a few a few weeks back and he has a theory about about what god meant when he created adam and eve so i'm gonna send you that episode yeah send it to me, me and you can let me know <laughs> what you think um I will do. but 
so yeah, um, but that's super interesting, and I've always been interested in because I'm I'm fascinated by what we don't know. Mm-hmm. So much. <laughs> there's no way that we can confirm a lot of mm. the stuff because a lot of the mm. a lot of history has been left to, you know, history. He's just been left to just yeah. mine and whatnot, and the kind of and the and the and the efforts put in place to erase those if those things have been yeah. marginally successful, um, in a, in a sense. So it's actually quite disturbing sometimes to think to myself mm. like, you know, my necessary my understanding of spirituality and where I'm at with what it means and what I understand about say past lives and kind mm. of you know the soul and soul stories and soul ages and all those different things. Mm. I feel those intuitively and but i am given back to the thinking side of stuff um but i'm given ideas that i do not resonate with but i Mm. must take on because that is what that is what is done you know Mm. so i think that that is something interesting and i always urge people to just spend their time in their own self-interrogation and even if it comes down to your own spiritual interrogation, there's sometimes it's great to question things. Um, Absolutely. And, and Mel's will attest to this as the philosophy <laughs> and, question the, and the doctoral <laughs> student. Look at you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining me on the show, Mel. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Two books that you would suggest for readers um, to go away with after this episode. Yeah. Um, the first book would be Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, which is like a speculative fiction slash science fiction novel. Um, and the other being Revolutionary Suicide by Hugh P. Newton. Okay. Why do you choose those? Um, the first one, because of like how much it taught me about like the power of um, like imagination, the power of like speculating about the future and like how we can use lit like literary fiction as a device to kind of engineer social transformation um, and revolu- revolutionary suicide because like I feel like Huey has so many lessons and I feel like he's often disregarded like because obviously he was a very very imperfect like human um, mm. but the power of like black radicalism black revolution that that is embodied in that book and that is embodied in his life is just something that I am massively resonated with and just like reading like his experience of masculinity and one of the things that like I'm shocked or like saddened that what weren't like explored in the book is that Huey's journey of healing because that he was um when he was imprisoned he was um like tortured essentially and so that kind of question about what happens to a person who's like tortured by the state who doesn't have access to like healing as like a black man so yeah okay okay so that's the parable of the sower by octavia Butler. yeah and revolutionary suicide by huey p yeah all righty all righty all righty well Mel's, it's been a pleasure love having you um on the show like come back 100 you want to come back and um where can people find you um you can find me on instagram (laughs) on instagram at mels dot and emails are always open like mels dot arisu at gmail.com okay amazing amazing all right guys i'm gonna catch you next week stay blessed blessings you just listened to mels awusu 
Find their work over at freeblackuni.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Bye.